0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Deeper Than Sunday podcast. This podcast exists to be an extension of Grace Church San Diego's teaching on Sunday. Today, we're going to be covering Acts 4, 1 through 12. But before we do that, let's introduce ourselves. Nicole, who are you?
1: I'm Nicole. I'm 21 years old as of two days ago, but I'm here to provide a younger perspective on these old guys stories
0: what do you do on your birthday can you tell us
1: um yeah so i was at church on sunday since it fell on a sunday and then
0: Typical 21st birthday yeah start starts
1: with church <laughs> you gotta start right or else it's gonna be rough but then we went out to dinner as like a family with a couple of my friends so super fun
0: awesome
2: yes happy birthday nicole uh, my name is josh i was the preacher this sunday
0: Awesome. Okay. So before we start, Josh, why should people keep listening? What is like, what's burning in your heart to tell people what are we going to get out of today's podcast? Yeah.
2: I I said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that Peter uh, proclaims the most significant sentence in all of human history. And that's why you should keep listening.
0: That's good. That's a good hook. All right. uh, Let's roll the theme song. Okay, so let's not bury the lead here. Uh, what is the sentence? Acts
2: chapter 4, verse 12. Peter is on trial uh, before the religious leaders, and he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved.
0: Okay, so yeah, that's, um, that's something can you explain why that's (laughs) that's something that's wow
1: that's 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 Uh, explain
0: explain why in that day it was so divisive and also explain why today it's so divisive
2: yeah it's, it's quite the claim uh the claim suggests you must be saved and no one else can do it except jesus And so I I think in the current context uh, that it landed, you had a lot of people still believing in um, an Old Testament system that was now fulfilled in Christ. And so to say the resurrection from the dead was available uh, made these religious leaders feel like their power was being threatened, that they no longer had the the pathway to God, they no longer had the authority uh, of the people. And so this is no small claim in that day. And it, it certainly stands today and in, in 2023, just as relevant as it was when it was first said.
0: Nicole, for you and your uh, peers, peer group, do you think that the idea that you have to be saved is like, no, nah, we're not going to do that?
1: Um, I feel like it's kind of hard for me to answer that question because I grew up Christian. So that's all I've ever really known. But uh, being friends with non-Christians, I'd say it's a little intimidating for them especially knowing that it's like a person that died and like them having to surrender to that person that human they're like what is going on it seems a little cultish to the outsider and I totally understand and in this day and age people are just so wary about everything because everything always has some kind of back <laughs> like, like I don't a know back end, something that's yes.
0: come later you're like, exactly oh, so, so people are a little negative.
1: scared it sounds yeah, negative like absolutely. you need to be
2: saved mm-hmm. and I, I think that's one of the the reasons why there's a temptation to uh, back off the message a little bit and, and maybe change uh, change some of the bad news out with just you know
0: mm-hmm. neutral neutral news yeah. What, yeah. what are some ways the, the church does that today like how do we uh, water that down
2: Uh, You you can add to this message unintentionally. You can subtract from this message. You can merge this message. And I think that happens. And so like Nicole's saying, there's there's people out there that uh, feel like, wow, that's a little much. That's too strong. And so what you can do is subtly say, okay, well then just like keep your life as you know it. Just kind of add Jesus to it or pray a prayer one time. And that gives you like fire insurance. That's a terrible way to say that, but fire insurance, yeah, like like uh, our tickets to heaven one time, mm-hmm. and then basically do whatever you want with your life. And uh, and sadly, that that's a replacement of the biblical gospel. Uh, the biblical gospel is bad news and good news. The bad news is you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you couldn't save yourself, and you were desperately in need of someone to save you and and God did that that's what Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us Mm -hmm. and so I I I think that our attempts to remove the bad news is actually doing a disservice to Nicole and her friends to me and my friends to you and your friends um because I I believe that the bad news is where the Holy Spirit starts to bring conviction on a person that feels like that that's actually is true is there any hope for me and that's where Acts chapter 4 verse 12 is incredibly hopeful for people yeah
1: I wouldn't say it's like bad news. I'd just say it's more intense than the rest. Yeah. And um, people do immediately feel feel convicted by that. And I think that's what's intimidating. Just being like, oh, like these people believe somebody died for me and that they love me so much that they would do that. And that's
2: intimidating. And calling someone a sinner. Mm-hmm. That's not how you make friends. You don't <laughs> go around calling people sinners. Uh, yeah. It's I not mean, a
1: good strategy. I mean, I do. No.
0: <laughs> so let's set the stage. Um... Peter and John are talking to the Sanhedrin. Why? What happened before we talked about it last week? Why are they even there? Um, and then follow-up question. There there's this talk about power. By what power did you do this? Is that that kind of struck me as odd. Was there a, an idea back in the day that in order to do something like this, there had to be some sort of power you're drawing on and why why is that so important?
2: Yeah, they heal a guy. Uh, they're on the way to pray a guy's Laying by the gate, he's been there forty years, his whole life. Everyone probably knew him. Lots of people have probably given to him over the years. They just tell him, We don't got any money, but we got Jesus. Stand up and walk. This brother stands up and walks, dances into the temple, and that creates a stir. Peter preaches the gospel. The religious leaders arrest him and they're like, Hey, you can't do that. And the, the text says they're the the religious leaders are greatly disturbed by uh, the proclamation of resurrection from the dead being available in Christ. So it's not so much the healing that deserves him, it's the, the the power of Christ now being raised from the dead. Uh, and so I, I would say they're they're really on trial for the the message behind the healing, not so much the healing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so what's this power? They say, by what power or by what name did you do this? I mean, do they have an, a a correct answer in mind and an incorrect answer, or are they setting them up, or why'd they ask that?
2: Well, there's a, a Jewish tradition where you would appeal to the authority of your rabbi. And so, uh, you know, Gamaliel said this. So I'm, I'm also going to add on to what Gamaliel said. Or um, whoever was above you, they had the authority over you. And then you have Jesus, this unschooled rabbi coming along, appealing to no one's authority. Say, doubling down, Jesus would say, you've heard it said by so-and-so, but I tell you. So not only does he not use their authority, he actually goes against some of that. And so they ask Jesus, "Who do you think you are?" When he cleanses the temple, by what power, by what name do you do this? Same exact question to the disciples/slash now apostles, and they're appealing to Christ, who appealed to God as his authority, and uh, and that's really the under the underlying power struggle is uh, who who's got the power now?
0: Yeah, that leads to my next question, um, and we can't answer this because we're not there in their minds, but. Are they asking them this because they truly believe that, um, the way that they see God and how God interacts with humanity is the right way, or are they just trying to hold on to power?
2: I I think I I could be wrong on this. Uh, I think they are trying to hold on to power. I think they have already killed a man because they wanted to hold on to power. And that man was Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now God killed Christ in his sovereign plan. We could do a whole podcast on that. Uh, but this whole thing was God orchestrating events in human history so that his son would lay down his life for the sins of the world. But in this moment, this group is power-seeking, and, and it's created a hard heart in them, and now they, they're they blind. Uh, in John chapter 5, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you guys know the scriptures more than anyone, yet you won't come to me to have life. That's still true in Acts 4. Mm-hmm. They, they know the scriptures, but they won't receive the life that's available in Christ. And frankly, they're mad at the apostles that they, they thought killing Jesus would probably end this whole thing. And they can't believe, oh, no, it's it's not stopping.
1: Yeah. So, like, does that mean they're not saved?
2: The religious leaders? Yeah. Uh, in John chapter 3, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, who's a religious leader, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again. So he's not saved mm. unless he receives Christ in faith, and then he's born again. Um, interestingly enough, we've used that phrase like in Christianity as kind of the primary phrase. I, I could be wrong on this, but I think that's the only time Jesus tells someone they have to be born again hmm. is in John 3. He tells the rich young ruler, you have to sell everything you own and give it to the poor. He tells, you know, Matthew, or sorry, Zacchaeus pays back half of what he owed. So I, I think these religious leaders um, have hard hearts towards the Savior. Mm-hmm. And some people would say, Uh, The Apostle Paul, Saul, was actually in this room in Acts chapter 4. And he later becomes Paul. And Paul's the one that tells Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, how this whole thing played out. Mm. Because it begs the question, like, how did Luke know this happened? He's not there. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh, So, uh, one commentator I was reading said, the Apostle Paul was likely there. Gamaliel was likely there. And they, uh, ultimately Saul becomes Paul and he tells Luke, here's what happened with Peter and John the first time I met these guys.
0: Mm. Yeah. If the Sanhedrin are trying to hold on to power, what lesson can we glean as church leadership uh, to not fall into the same trap? Or are there, are there places that you see just blatant tr- people in the church trying to hold on to power that are distorting the gospel like happened in this story? Yeah, I think so. Um, Name some names for us. <laughs>
1: uh, Jeff? Uh,
0: <laughs> I have the power of this podcast.
2: <laughs> uh, I think there's whole denominations that are um, being, I, I would say, being renewed by the Holy Spirit because uh, there have been sexual assault scandals. And and you, this would seem disconnected, but I'll, I'll say it's connected in this sense. Uh, when you have that kind of power, it's almost like you'll do anything to keep it. But where there is the true gospel, like the true power of the Spirit, Christ raised from the dead, grace, grace-driven grace gospel, uh, eventually the the story of the gospel will weigh so heavy that it's going to win out. So in other words, the power-hungry people are eventually going to lose if, if the true gospel and, and carriers of that gospel and the Holy Spirit are present. So the same thing happens in, in the book of Acts, where eventually the gospel wins out. Yeah. Um, so anybody who's holding on to power and hiding something, be careful, uh, cause there's a greater power at play.
0: Would, would you then say that the, the gospel or the kingdom doesn't live in large systems that, that are prone to have power centered at the top, more likely in smaller house churches or smaller villages and groups of people around the world.
2: Yeah. Um, I recently heard a podcast where uh, J.D. Greer was talking to uh, Carrie Newhoff. And the question was similar. And and, and here's what they were talking about, like institutions versus movements. And so I think what we're seeing in the book of Acts right now is a movement. And I think eventually it starts to turn into, I don't want to use the word institution negatively, but uh, in Antioch it becomes an institution in some ways of mission sending Uh, So I think you need both. I think you need movement Christianity and institution Christianity. Uh, We're in a church that's over 100 years old. That's institutional. But if by God's grace, our generation doesn't have movement, then it's not going to work. And so I I think you need both. Uh, But I think the religious leaders show you how sometimes institutions can hinder you more than help you. Mm. And the power that goes with those institutions becomes more precious to you than the message of the gospel. And that's a dangerous place.
0: Yeah, you hear the debate of, Oh, mega churches are all bad. It's all opulescence and too many people and you can't connect. But then you hear the stories, like we have a really fairly famous megachurch in San Diego in the Rock, and I hear people all the time who go there and they're like, I love it. They do a great job. Mm-hmm. So is there a right-sized church and No. are
2: um Big is not bad. Small is not bad. Uh, churches that don't have the gospel is bad. Churches that don't make disciples is bad. Uh, churches that... You read the book of Revelation. Jesus writes a letter to seven churches and has lots of different thoughts for them and none of them is, you're big. Stop being so big, right? That's not like, you don't see that, or you're too small. Uh, that that doesn't seem to be the problem. Um, it, it seems to be more about, they're off the design that he's given to his church, whether it be small or big.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to this claim that Jesus is the only way. Uh, this is a big one. I don't think it's like, Sexual immorality big or uh women in preaching big, but if you were to ask most unchurched people, I think this is probably top of their list, or at least top three of like yeah. there is no way that there is only one way they would say, and so I guess just to kick it off, my question is, if we believe that Jesus is the only way, then how do we explain the joy and peace and healing that happens in the lives of those? who don't follow Jesus or are Buddhists or Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, you know, other smaller religions like American Indian religions, like throughout history, back from the beginning of time, I think if you interviewed those people, they would all say, my God's the one. Yeah. How do we know our God is the one?
2: Yeah. Uh, Nicole, would you say the younger generation has a general belief that like believe what you believe let me believe what i believe as long as we're just going to be okay with each mm-hmm. other about it is yeah. that still the consensus
1: oh absolutely it's like that yeah 100 percent. yeah mm-hmm.
2: so uh I, I guess i would lovingly tell the people uh, kind of criticizing me for saying jesus is the only way i would say every real world religion is exclusive so the person that's trying to be the universalistic person is actually almost building their own religion to say, um, "Hey, you believe? what You believe? I believe what I believe. It's all going to be fine." Is in some ways that they're saying there's no absolute truth while they're saying an absolute truth. Mm-hmm. That's
0: Tim Keller. Does that's, that make sense? That's where mm-hmm. I like, heard that first.
2: Um, and so all, all all religions have exclusivity in some way, uh, and all the religions uh, all religions are evangelistic in some way. Uh, to use a negative word, all religions proselytize. That's a fun word. Sounds a little too close to a another <laughs> word. Yeah. <laughs> but proselytizing is uh like trying to convert people, right? Mm-hmm. And so it it's tricky in a world where it feels like the rule is you do you, let me do me, as long as we don't bother each other, then mm-hmm. we're fine. Uh but what's underneath that sadly is an arrogance that uh every other world religion is claiming exclusivity to. Yeah. Um you, you still feel like that's true?
1: Um, I I just feel like people say that to get people to stop talking to them about religion. <laughs> like yeah. people yeah. are like, oh yeah, like you believe whatever you believe, you know, just like don't pull me into it, kind of thing. Like yeah. somebody's at the mall, like, hey, like, have you heard of Mother God? I'm like, no, thanks, but <laughs> you do you, <laughs> that kind a, of thing. There's
2: a Seinfeld episode where Elaine is dating a guy who's a Christian, and uh, he won't tell her, so she finds Christian radio stations on his car. And, she, and a, like a sticker of a fish, the Jesus fish. Yeah. And so she goes to Jerry and George and she's like, I'm dating this guy and he's a Christian, but he hasn't told me. And so finally they confront him and they're like, you're a Christian. And he's, and she's like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, well, you're the one going to hell, not me. And so this really awkward mm-hmm. exchange on mm-hmm. Seinfeld. Uh, and that's, that's 25 years ago. I don't yeah. know how Seinfeld
0: was made, the it's 90s. Sounds, sounds about mm-hmm. right. It's probably like 50 years or something. <laughs>
2: 500
1: actually. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So allegedly postmodernism, modernism like something happened in the 90s early 2000s where this whole like you do you let me do me thing became industry standard Mm -hmm. and and I would say that's tricky because uh everyone's claiming exclusivity I'm just saying that the one that rose from the dead is the one I'm trusting and that that's the tricky part about
0: can, can you just take a moment and explain the difference between Christianity and the others? Because there's one big glaring difference.
2: Yeah, the, the resurrection of Christ would probably be the biggest one. Um, so the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, uh, he he passed away and is in a grave. Um, you have uh, the prophet Muhammad passed away, is in a grave. You've got uh, Shintoism, like jo- Joseph Smith in Mormonism has passed away. It, there's the the big five world religions that are all again, all exclusive, all claiming to be the way, um, n- none of them boast a living God, a resurrected God. And secondly, I would say none of them boast a grace for all through faith, like that you don't have to earn this. Um, and so those two things seem to be exclusively Christian, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. grace and resurrection.
0: I like that you were the word boast. Um, cause to some people, even me some days it is just a boast. I don't know that Jesus came back from the dead. I've got to, I've got to believe that since it was written down by this group of people at this time that it actually happened. Um, so which brings me to my next point is that ultimately there's no empirical data or facts that can prove Christianity, right? It eventually will come down to faith unless somebody hasn't told me something I haven't heard in 38 years. Um, how do we then take this message to a world that desperately longs for data and yeah. facts? How do we take a message that relies on faith and share that in a way that will land with them? Or is that even our job?
2: It's it's hard. Philosophically, uh, you can neither disprove God or prove God. Uh, you've got... Neil DeGrasse Tyson, what's his name? Tyson, mm-hmm. that guy.
0: Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um,
2: uh, on Joe Rogan or whatever podcast, and uh, they ask him if he if he believes in God, and he's like, I I, I do not think there is enough evidence, right? But he do, he also doesn't have evidence to disprove it. He doesn't have evidence to claim it. So yeah. So that's about God, uh, creation. I would say when you deal in the resurrection, you still have to have faith, but there's certainly a little bit more data. When it comes to that. So if you're a skeptic listening, I would say focus on the resurrection. Uh, Case for Christ by Lee Strobel is a great book. It's actually been made into a movie that I'm not embarrassed of, which says yeah, good. subtly says things I am embarrassed it's of. Case for
0: Christ <laughs> and The Chosen. Yeah, That's oh, about all we
2: got. <laughs> passion of the Christ. So yeah. you just hate Christian uh, movies? No, no, no. no. Some, sometimes. Um, Man, th- th- I love War Room. I love War Room.
0: <laughs> That's a different... But there's some questionable... Uh, decisions made in that sure, movie. Sure, sure. So yeah.
2: the, the art and the budget are not <laughs> always... Uh, it's always the budget. Yeah, mm-hmm. so let me say this. The um, the story of Case for Christ and Lee Strobel is he's a reporter, and uh, he he's wanting to believe in Jesus, and he has to do the investigation of the resurrection, and so um, he he's in his... There's the classic scene where they're all in like, the bullpen, and he's telling his boss about it. And the joke is, you say your mom loves you, look into it. Like, if you make a claim, like, show me the data. And so that's, you say Christ raised from the dead, look into it. And that's what he did. So anybody who's skeptical, I would say start there. Uh, because our whole thing in Christianity is built on faith, but it's centered in the resurrection, that this brother walked out of the grave. Uh, and that, that's probably the starting point yeah. for anybody who wants to start.
0: To me, when there's something that ultimately takes faith to believe, um, there's no argument needed. Like you can't argue that. I mean, there's been debates throughout time, Christians versus non-Christians. But if our final word is you just have to believe it, there's no argument. There's, there's things like the case for Christ that will help people get there. But I couldn't bring somebody in off the street and explain God, like there's something else that happen has to happen in their heart to get to that point. Right?
2: No doubt. Um, you you asked earlier, other world religions experience peace and joy. Um I I can't speak to that. I'm not saying it's not real. Uh I went to a yoga class <laughs> where at Choose Fitness in Mission Valley <laughs> I feel
1: bad for the other people in that class. <laughs> where
2: we had to do certain things besides stretching and the lady put essential oils on my palms and, and I'm sure She that anointed you. She anointed me in <laughs> in the yoga. Uh, and there's people that probably feel like that's their religion. I think I told you guys the down at mission beach, you'll see t-shirts that say the, the ocean is my church. Uh, yeah. and you're like, I, I get it. There, there's something there, um, that draws you in, but I, I don't know that those claims work long enough. Uh, the, I would say that peace is fleeting. It's not that it's not there. Uh, this is St. Augustine from all the way, 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 way back 300. Um, I don't think it was 300s. We'll have to do the...
0: Fact check next episode. Tune in. We'll tell you how long ago. Uh, Augustine. Yeah.
2: He's the the guy that said there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. And and you're restless until you find your peace in Christ. And so I think even in other religions, um, there's a God-shaped hole.
0: Yeah. I'll take this time to share my favorite Keller quote. It's similar to the God-shaped hole, but he said, everything but Jesus will... Uh, control you as you seek it, um, disappoint you when you find it, mm. and devastate you if you lose it. Um, and it's like, dang, we lost a good one, man. Um, oh, so yeah, man. it's like, um, I agree with you. I agree that, and I think we all would here, agree that Jesus is the only way. I just wrestle with how to share that. Yeah, And I think sometimes I take the full brunt of the message bearing on myself when the spirit is the one that convicts. Right. And that's kind of what I'm getting at is since, since this um, Jesus is the only one claim comes down to faith. Should that affect the way that we carry ourselves in the world? Um, should it tamper our, Oh, assuredness at all right like we can have assurance in our heart but does should that assurance bleed out into the way that we speak to people who don't have that same assurance and the spirit hasn't spoken to them yet
1: (laughs) i think for me i kind of deal with this a lot and in the workplace i deal with no i work with only non-christians And I'm always, like, talking about Jesus. I'm like, especially with my birthday coming up, they're like, oh, so how does it feel? I'm like, I'm actually finally, like, I'm okay to be 21 now as I really like where I am. God made me who he's wanted me to be my whole life. And I'm just sharing to them, like, how my 20th year has, like, been so, like, God-filled and stuff. And they listen to that. And, like, they may not believe it in their hearts, but they, like, show genuine excitement for me. And it does, like, produce, like, curiosity in them because I do get questions from them all the time. They're well, just is,
2: is the general assumption you were going to get wasted on yeah. Sunday night? right? You well, no, they all
1: knew I wasn't. They, but that, yeah. but
2: generally, like, when yeah, you turn 21, 21 here's that's the rite of passage. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and one of my coworkers, she's one of my best friends now, and she came out to dinner with me and my family and my two other best friends on Sunday night and that was awesome because my yep. two other best friends are super Christians and we're all just like having such a fun time together and um, it wasn't like weird and that's what I was worried about but she knows where I stand and she respects that and I know where she stands and I respect that but I never stopped sharing my story in the gospel to her.
0: I think that's beautiful. Yeah. So two things. One, the reason that works for you is because you're just a pleasant person, <laughs> right? Like we, we talk, we do this APEs test where you you take a test and it shows you your gifting and one of them is uh, evangelist and we say You're not an evangelist if non Christians don't like you. (laughs) I'm
1: not an evangelist, though. I was a teacher online.
0: You just described evangelizing. Yeah, but it's
1: like my friends. I don't go up to strangers and like, oh, have you heard of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Like, (laughs) I mean, there's
2: there's a cold turkey. I'm I'm like, I'm so sorry. Cold turkey is. I could never do that. I I think hospitality um, is probably the the more recent form of effective evangelism is doing life with people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think. There's this extraction concept of like once you get saved you got to be extracted from the big bad world and come over here to the good church and mm-hmm. let's stay away and us versus them uh, versus a in the world but not of the world. So you're I love in the world. that. You're yeah, in the world that's uh-huh. that's just true. Um, but you're not of the world, so you you can uh, handle alcohol differently than the world handles alcohol. Mm-hmm. You can be a coworker differently. Um, I, I do think there's this tension. There's the great Saint Francis of Assisi quote that's like, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words, and that that's been overutilized to just like be silent. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh yeah, I, mo- I I open doors for people and smile a lot. And you're like, bro, that's <laughs> basic human kindness. Not yeah, easy. Yeah. So there there's a there's a demonstration and proclamation necessary. Mm-hmm. And so at some point with your friends, after you've been friends a while, you can tell them of the hope you have in Christ, mm-hmm. and you can do so with true burden yeah. for them and it probably won't land as so offensive uh, yeah
1: they they come to me for advice all the time too because they like what i have to say and I, every time i'm just like okay christian moment coming i was like christian nicole is talking right now and then i'd be like for me like god does this in my life so i put my so i tell them like how I can relate to them, but from a Christian perspective. I,
2: I, I think, in my approach to preaching and our even approach to Sunday gatherings, like Jesus is offensive enough. Mm-hmm. We don't have to be. Mm-mm. Jesus is offensive. At the, the end of the day, you've got to deal with my sin put a man on a cross and he had to die in my place. So that, that that's the line in the sand, right? Mm-hmm. So don't, don't let your coffee at church be offensive. Don't let your greeters be offensive. Don't let, you know, where you sit. That's, a, that's on a Sunday gathering in your life. Try not to be offensive because the message itself has offense to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and but don't mishear me. I'm not saying don't water it like water it down. Mm-mm. I'm I'm saying love people, and loving people looks like telling them the truth. Mm-hmm. And if Christ is the truth above all truths, then there comes a time when you you tell them that truth. And a, allegedly, this is this is the promise that the Bible makes. That when you tell your friends the gospel, there is a power within the words that is not connected to you as the, the proclaimer of the gospel, not connected to you as a person, but rather connected to the message itself. And so, uh, even though there is weakness in the messenger, there is power in the message mm-hmm. and that, that's a promise. You just go, all right, I'm going to share with you and I'm probably going to be clunky and I'm going to mess up and I might say it wrong, but there's mm-hmm. power in that message. Yeah. And that's different. That's different, I, I think, than than other stories. Mm-hmm.
0: The other thing I liked what you said is that um, you're going to share, this is what happened to me, and this is how Jesus interacts with me, but you're still going to be their friend afterwards if they deny it. Because mm-hmm. I think so often we can share the gospel and we get rejected and say, okay, I'm going to dust my feet off I, of this house and, and not stay anyway. here and not be your friends. like Christians sometimes get a bad rap for going to... Develop like global, global south countries bringing water, bringing food, but then also bringing Jesus and like just bring the food, don't br- don't bring the okay. Jesus. Where what I love what you said is like, I'm here because I love you. I, you're my co worker, and I'm gonna continue serving you even if you deny Christ.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm go ahead. sorry. Um, yeah, I, I'm constantly sharing, like, I'm like, you know, Jesus did this, like this week, like this is that Jesus is talking to me, and then like they've um, caught on to the fact that Jesus is such a huge part of my life that now when their like non-christian friends are like hanging out with us or or at the coffee cart or whatever and they start like kind of bagging on christianity my friends my coworkers, they'll be like uh like don't say that they'll like yeah. step, they're like don't say that because nicole is christian she belie-. like at first yeah. i was a little offended i was like what like y'all don't need to be babied but like i see that it's them like defending me against like their friends. You've
0: created Mm -hmm. social capital with those people. So they Mm -hmm. like you as a person, Mm -hmm. not, they don't see you just as the Christian. They see you as Nicole who Mm -hmm. also has Jesus. I think that's a beautiful way to share Mm -hmm. the gospel. Yeah. We, we process a lot of this through
2: like where we are, Western mindset. And uh, I saw a graph that I didn't get to share in the sermon where uh, this guy looked at global world religions and it was interesting in the graph how much localization was connected to a religion. So if you wanted to find Hindus, they were primarily in India. If you wanted mm-hmm. to find uh, Muslims, they were primarily in the Middle East. If you mm-hmm. want to find Shinto, they're primarily in China. But then when you look at the Christian graph, it it was spread out all over the world. There was no one place that had claim to Christianity any different than any other place mm-hmm. where those would not be said of other world religions, that mm-hmm. they are primarily located uh, in a region, and that region is 90% of said religion. And I think what's interesting about Christianity is that uh, uh, there's people that write on this. They're called missiologists, and they talk about how uh, in the gospel you have something that is both indigenous and uh, like sojourner. So indigenous means it fits any place, anywhere. It fits right in. Like in your coffee shop, the gospel works. It works mm-hmm. in your coffee shop, guaranteed. Also, it it's not comfortable there. And and it would call things to change, this sojourning kind of moving away from. So the, the tension of the exclusivity of Christ is that it stands above the whole planet saying this is a worldwide message and Jesus is a worldwide Savior. And the task of that mission fulfillment is on the church it's Mm -hmm. on the church. And so, um, Christianity doesn't belong to America. It didn't originate in America. Jesus isn't white. I know these are like very Uh, basic things. These are (laughs) basic things. Uh, we're following a Jewish middle Eastern man, uh, who died at 33 and, and because of what happened in acts four, because of what happened in Antioch, the gospel made its way to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, and now it's, it's our turn to continue the work of the gospel, uh, but there's this subtlety that's like, oh, that's colonialism. Like, why are you taking the gospel there? That's, they, they've never heard. Why would you bring that? As if we're bringing America. And, yeah. and that's a radical misunderstanding of the Great Commission. It's a misunderstanding mm-hmm. of where this whole thing came from. And it's so Western and so broken and so arrogant that we would think we possess this thing and we got to give it to the big bad world. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that's broken well,
0: colonialism historically has been raping and pillaging villages. And here's a Bible. You better bow down or we're going to kill you too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, we don't really have that great of a track record.
2: Yeah. I would say those people didn't have the real gospel.
0: Yeah.
2: I, I would say that's, this is what I was saying earlier, like where there was slave ownership, the real gospel wins out. Mm-hmm. It does. It presses, it, it moves, it, it convicts it. It changes. And so, um, yeah, brokenness, it's like when people read the Old Testament and they look at the Old Testament and they're like, look at all that God did. I'm like, look at all that sin did and look at how gracious God is. Now that's a different lens in which you view that, but you're like, God told him to take that city. These broken, sinful people tried the patience of God for 2,000 years and you get a history of God being gracious to them, wooing them, loving them, being kind to them. And in Christ, you have what God intended man to look like. Mm-hmm what Adam couldn't be. And that is worthy of sharing to the world. And do we bring our own junk with it? Of course we do. Uh, but it doesn't change the reality that the world need. This is acts four twelve. You need to be saved. You must be saved and only Christ can save. And, and that mission is still as relevant today as it's ever been.
0: Are you, this is an aside, but are you saying in the old Testament that God allowed the, those people to sin because they would not shut up about it? like rather than you go take these people, kill every firstborn or whatever they all the things they did back then. You're saying that's not wasn't God's plan, but God's like, "God, just do whatever you need to do. I need my plan to move forward." Is that what you're saying?
2: Um I heard a comedian once say that he believes that God exists because he's never met a Philistine in New York.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you get the you get the idea like yeah. that the Jewish people made it. Yeah. Uh they made it. And so that that's just a, a, a silly trying to make light of saying i think there's two things one in the old testament you have to understand that when nations went to war with each other it was as if their gods were fighting and they would meet and they would say hey tomorrow we're gonna fight and if we win we're killing everybody and he says deal if we if you win you're killing everybody deal That's greek mythology deal. right there yeah and uh, our gods will be fighting each other and Molech is stronger than yahweh and so we'll see you on the field tomorrow Molech versus yahweh And so as broken as that was, God was faithful to be God in in a broken system. Now, uh, that's above my mental understanding sometimes, but that was kind of the brokenness of that world. I I think what I'm really saying is often people will look at the Old Testament when, uh, let's say King Saul did something ridiculous, and they'll say, look at what God told his people to do, rather than saying... Look at what sinful people did and God was gracious towards. Mm -hmm. And that subtlety will change your whole view of of what you're reading. Uh, Have you ever read the book of Genesis? It's so sad. Mm -hmm. It's so broken. I mean, don't start there in a Bible reading plan. You're like, what is happening?
1: It's like, what? You don't know where to look. What is
2: happening? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, finally you get to the story of Joseph and you're like, is this a redeemable character of all, you know? So I think that's God being patient and God being gracious more than it is God, like telling people to do broken, sinful things. Um, that's not really what we're talking about. But that's, yeah. I think when you that's view good. the Old Testament that way, you start to feel the longing for a Savior. Can someone fix this? And I would say that same feeling is probably present in the world. Um, and And in mission work, which we're not really talking about mission work, but... When you start to talk about mission work, you'll see that Jesus is still the one that is the greater missionary, that he goes before you, that one day you'll be talking to a co-worker, Nicole, and they'll be like, you're not going to believe this, but the other day this thing happened. Like, Jesus is actively working. The Spirit is actively working. Mm-hmm. And so, theologically, this, this is where I'll tie it all back together, we are not taking the American colonialistic thing to the world. We're rather joining Jesus and the Spirit on the mission field. And he's already going to do it. But our our church is saying, can we join you on the field? And and that's, just, that's a much better and safer understanding of mission.
1: That's a perfect setup for next week.
0: Yeah. yeah. We so before we get there, I've got one thing. I'm going to read what Peter said to the Sanhedrin. And then can we talk about um, narrative is not normative? Is this the way that we uh, claim the gospel? So I'll just start Nate then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers of the people and elders if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been <clears throat> has been healed let it be known to all of you and to all the people of israel
2: In that particular moment, you have the first, like, spirit-empowered. There's opposition, and the Spirit is empowering them to take on opposition. Acts chapter 2, they just preach through the the Spirit's power. Um, I I think they're talking to religious leaders, so they're being harsh to be clear. And they're telling them again, hey, you crucified him, God raised him. Uh, I respect the boldness, but I think there's some tension with... uh, I'll, I'll say it like this. I, I'm weary of people that walk the world thinking that they, their calling in life is to be a prophet like Isaiah, or their calling in life is to be bold like Peter. Uh, so basically, they walk through the world like just looking for things to be mad about, looking for things to be prophetic about, uh, and in its worst form is like fear-mongering. I don't hear any fear-mongering in Peter. Mm-hmm. I hear bold proclamation about Jesus being the Christ who's raised from the dead. I don't hear him saying, have you heard what they're teaching in schools these days? Like I don't hear him say that. Yeah. Um, I don't hear him talking about. Because there weren't
1: schools. Okay. No, <laughs> there were schools.
2: They. they the next book they're called unschooled. <laughs> so, the Hebrew schools. Um, can you believe what the Jewish academy is bringing down like that? That's not what he's mad about. That's yeah. not what he's mad about. Have you heard what the the new city council is passing? Like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, it feels like now, at least in our cultural moment. That the prophetic Christians are, they're just mad at the world.
0: Can you tell, I didn't think we were going to go here, but let's do it. Can you tell the difference between culture war and sharing the gospel?
2: Man, culture war is this, like, I'm, I'm fighting for America to be a Christian nation. And anything America does that is not Christian, it is my job to put on blue face paint like Braveheart, like Mel Gibson from Braveheart and red ride face out into battle,
0: probably. But go ahead. Yeah,
2: <laughs> the Blue no, men Group. Blue face paint is is what he wore in Braveheart. <laughs> but I think you're being political when you yes, say red face sorry. paint. Um, I would say lovingly, both side have uh, they have warriors. You got the social justice woke warriors and the uh, Antifa, the other side warriors, and and so there's a uh, there's a cultural war that I don't think the apostles would even have a brain for to. I don't even think they're processing in that way. Now, let me also say, there are moments throughout history where the church has stood in the gap of things that did not create human flourishing and said, we have to speak up about this because if we follow this path, it's going to lead to more brokenness in the world, more evil in the world, more things that don't help the good of humanity. And so uh, we vote. You should vote. That's kind of our way of revolting As you vote. You vote your what you believe is scriptural. That's so not what this podcast is about today. Yeah. But I don't I don't think that, that God is asking us to be um, constantly just mad uh, and fear-mongering. Yeah. And constantly, I, I think fear creates so much press. Like like people, like if our podcast was just fear-based, Well, it problem,
1: creates drama.
2: Drama.
0: People love drama.
1: People love drama. And that's why I'll... News is bad news. It's I used to work. I used watch. to work in TV news, yeah. and
0: I would bring it I was just out of college, and they're like, probably making fun of me after I left the room. But I'm like, why do we always tell the bad stories? And they're like, when we tell the good, happy stories, no one watches. Yeah, they turn the TV off.
1: Mostly because so, yeah. people are nosy too. Like when your neighbors are fighting, I'm at the window watching, like in yeah. between blinds. I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> like who can read lips Sorry, couples, neighbors.
0: Here? Yeah, get it together. Yeah, over
1: I, so.
2: My prophetic take, I know I just hated on the prophets is, uh, we have to be comfortable being the minority. I mm-hmm. was just going to say, you have to be com- now the Peter fighting, was not
0: trying to be the dominant the majority, culture, yeah. the majority culture. And for some reason today, we've got to be a majority. We've got to be a majority. We're like, God moves in the minority all the time. yeah, mm-hmm. since the beginning.
2: And that, that's, that's okay. It's a narrow gate. Um, now I, I have my personal things that I feel like the church may need to raise their voice a little about that thing, um, and I feel like I've done that a couple times at Grace. And, it, and by the way, it's caused division. Uh, I sent an email one time about the the the, the turning of Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. I sent me. let me I sent a celebration email uh, saying that this is a good thing, and that was not well received by some, and was well received by others. On and both
0: sides, you can't you, please every side. You
2: can't do it. Um, Interestingly enough, there's companies right now where typically a CEO of a Fortune 500 company stays out of these debates, stays out of abortion, stays out of gender, stays out of marriage. Like typically, what's happening in America right now, interestingly, is is companies are seeing the marketability of X Y Z political thing, and they're leveraging that, uh, like Target, Target, Bud Light, like, what whatever, and you're you're seeing like this change of. Uh, some people call it virtue signaling like, Hey, like if you like that, be with us kind of, kind of thinking, but there's this other side that's like, well, we don't like that. So we're not going to be with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess I would just say where 20 years ago, I maybe, I remember when Legos like first used a girl Mm -hmm. um, and how, but I, again, I would say that's beautiful. Like my daughters love Legos. Like why can't girls like Legos? I love Legos. Yeah. But, but at that time that was so controversial or like uh, the Little Mermaid. Is, man, we're just all over the place on the podcast well, today.
0: <laughs> yeah. The sad part is that when it is virtue signaling, the only reason that Black Panther gets made and the sequel gets made and Little Mermaid is a black girl. Yeah, yeah. Because they know the culture is ready for it and it's going to make them more money. Yeah, sure. There's no caring of minorities and putting them in pictures and let's hear their you, voice. You would hope. You were, would hope is, there maybe there's some people in those rooms. But you but have to trust. I've been in America since I was born. <laughs> I don't think that there's a lot of good people in boardrooms everywhere. Sorry if you're in boardrooms, but it just seems like money is so
2: corporate greed is hard to overcome. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to overcome. And so you're seeing that play out. Um, and this, this is good. This is actually connected. Believe it or not, this is connected to the gospel. Here's why. Um, Mark Sayers writes about this. He He's written a book called Reappearing Church and Disappearing Church. He most recently wrote Non-Anxious Presence. Read everything Mark Sayers writes. He wrote, and he talks about all that we just said was the secular gospel. So the, the non-Christian world is trying to progress, be so progressive that they eventually land in utopia. What we are finding is that there's no such place that exists. Mm-hmm. And this incessant, urgent desire to progress is actually leaving us worse than we imagined. Mm. And it's actually hurting us and it's actually not creating flourishing for our kids. And there's a mental health crisis. And all of that is probably a byproduct of this incessant need to progress. Uh, and I'm not saying change isn't good. Change is so good. It's important. Uh
0: But only when it's changing from something bad to good. Right, right. Not taking something that's already working, is already in the kingdom. And then let's add X, Y, Z. You could fill in your own blank.
2: But this is our mission field. And so here's what's so beautiful about the gospel. You go, there is nothing that promotes women more than the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that has radical inclusivity more than the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing better for our children than the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything you most want in these secular promises that never ever satisfy is actually found in the resurrected Christ and His Kingdom. And so, uh, that's there, the
0: utopia, right?
2: The Mark Sayers would say uh, the the world wants a kingdom without a king, and what they want. And this is where we've got to become experts, you guys. We've got to become prayer warriors, not social justice warriors, (laughs) prayer warrior experts on how to show the world that the kingdom they most long for is only found under King Jesus. Mm. Uh, And he, he can do it. He can do it. He can provide everything you most want. Everything your friends at the coffee shop most want is only found in Christ. We have to look like people who are joyful and satisfied under the Lordship of Christ. And that's what the unbelieving world would find believable and attractive. Uh, Because the other stuff, you know, whether you shop at Target or buy Bud Light or all of the things that are on Twitter.
1: I can buy Bud Light now. I saw her drinking
2: (laughs) Bud Light last night. You can, Nicole, but should you? (laughs) At Chili's. That's just a joke. Where'd you go
0: for dinner? It's
1: water. Oh. Uh, We went to Duke's in La Jolla. Oh, nice. Yeah. I forgot my ID.
0: The one day. The one day I needed it.
1: I swear. My mom, thankfully, had my, like, Sentry passport card for Mexico and the wait waiter took it but it was really funny i was like oh dang (laughs) that's that's so
2: so sad nicole (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) like the one day i need it but i left in the car i was like i'm not driving and i'm not paying so i don't need my wallet yeah so i just left my everything in the car (laughs) yeah yeah
0: i feel like the podcast just started like i was getting excited as we were talking but we
2: took the long route
1: we did yeah it was the adhd route but we got there. It was we easy made it. for me to keep up. We
0: made it. Okay, so let's ra- wrap up. Next week, we're going to continue on through Acts. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, email us at podcast at com. Look on our Instagram story on Sunday. Uh, we want to hear your questions. we got a few questions in this week that we answered. Um, just keep sending those questions in. Keep listening, and we'll see you guys next week.